We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews and the fourth chapter. Hebrews and the fourth chapter this morning. And I'll be reading aloud and then preaching on verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. As we talk this morning about entering into God's rest. Entering into God's rest. And here the writer to the Hebrews states, beginning in verse 1 of Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disbelief, Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask now for the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, that he would be our guide and teacher, that he would reveal to us the meaning of these passages and help us through his influence and power to apply them in such a way that our minds are renewed, our thinking is transformed, our lives are transformed in such a way that honor and glory are brought to you. So bless us as a congregation. Help us to receive that which you have for us this morning. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brethren, over the last two Sunday mornings, we have been considering the failure of Israel to guard herself against the subtle and deceptive influences of unbelief during her 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. In fact, we have considered in some detail the ways by which unbelief had taken root among the people of God and how their unbelief had not only brought them to a place of testing, but it actually led them to provoke God to discipline them as a loving father must do. And throughout our consideration of these themes, I hope that you and I have not been indifferent enough or ignorant enough or arrogant enough to somehow conclude within our own hearts that these things could never possibly happen to us. Because in the final analysis, 
when we get down to the bottom line. And some people like it at the bottom line. Give me the bottom line, Pastor. The bottom line is this. You and I are no different than Old Testament Israel was. You and I share the same nature as the people possessed. And there are real similarities in our experiences. In fact, I hope we don't read this simply as biblical history and not think about how it applies to our individual lives. For we too are on a journey through the wilderness. Have you ever thought like that? I have. I know you have. We also are on a journey through the wilderness. And we too, even though we're in the wilderness, we have, we have seen the mighty hand of God deliver us. He's delivered us from slavery to Satan and to sin. And we too have watched in our lives as God has led us and directed us and protected us and preserved us in some truly remarkable ways. In fact, we all have to confess that we have never been, as God's people, without God's presence. Never. We have never been without God's protection. Never. We have never been without God's provision. And yet, within our own hearts, we find the strong, steady pull of unbelief, don't we? The strong, steady pull of unbelief. And with our own devotion, we find weaknesses that give in far too easily to disobedience. And if these tendencies within us towards unbelief and weaknesses are not countered by an active confidence in the goodness of God, we can grow impatient and discontented and disobedient. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me more times than I can count. There have been times when I have grown impatient with God and his, way, his ways and his timing. I've grown discontented with God's circumstances. I've been disobedient in my obedience to him. And in the end, we can forfeit that profound peace and spiritual refreshment that God holds out before us as strong incentives and gracious encouragements for our continued faithfulness to him. And yet the good news, as we can see from our text this morning, is that God's promise of rest has been extended to us, yes, even to you and I, in its most pronounced and powerful way under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I, who have our hearts well-rooted in the gospel and who know and treasure all the benefits of the gospel, can now enter into and enjoy this rest even as our difficult journeys on this earth continue. For the promise of rest still stands. For this peace that God offered to his people, this rest, was not permanently withdrawn because of Israel's failure under Moses. But it is now presented to us even more powerfully and even more wonderfully under the leadership of Jesus Christ, who is our new Moses. So again, as we read of these events in Scripture, we should understand that there is 
direct application to us as well. The promise of rest is still extended. The rest of God still stands, and it is powerfully and wonderfully presented to us under the leadership of Jesus Christ. In fact, even more so under the leadership of Jesus Christ, who, as I just stated, is our new Moses, our better Moses. And yet before we allow ourselves to presume for some reason that we could never fall because of the renewal of this rest under the gospel, let us be warned again and again not to be careless, not to be too overconfident in ourselves, for just as we are prone to unbelief, we are also prone to carelessness. And just as we are prone to carelessness, we are prone to spiritual overconfidence as well. And of course, this is where the writer to the book of Hebrews, or to the writer to the Hebrews, picks up these themes again in our text this morning. For the writer begins here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 4 with, with these words of warning. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. For while God's promise of rest remains, while we possess greater insights into the nature of this rest that God offers to us and into its promises, which Israel never fully understood or received, nevertheless, you and I as New Testament believers should possess within us still a very real and healthy fear. We should possess a very real and healthy fear. Not a fear that God might change his mind and withdraw his rest from us. For God's purposes, God's promises are timeless and they never change. But we should possess a well-reasoned fear, a well-justified fear of ourselves, a fear of ourselves, a fear of what we are, apart from grace, capable of doing, a fear that we might take God's warnings too lightly or that we might fail to pursue rest on the basis of faith in Christ alone, and thus we might fall short of actually receiving it. For this fear that the writer of Hebrews is calling for here in our text is actually the fear that we might do ourselves in, spiritually speaking. That we might do ourselves in, spiritually speaking. That we might, through our own arrogance and our own overconfidence, fail to realize and fail to take heed to the good news when we hear it. When we hear it. And we might forfeit the enjoyment of it. And are we actually capable of doing this? Indeed we are. We've been talking about this for several weeks now. We are capable. Let us notice here in verse 2 that the writer again stresses our similarity to ancient Israel and the fact that we too could be careless just as Israel was if we fail to receive and respond to the good news. For the writer states here in verse 2, notice verse 2 of chapter 4, for good news came to us, notice that, to us, 
He's talking to his readers. He's not talking about good news coming to Israel in this sense. But to us, believers today, the good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united by faith with those who listened. And so the writer's main point here is calling us to a very real and healthy fear of our own hard-heartedness of our own indifference and arrogance that could call us to fall short. And he's reminding us that simply hearing the good news, just as Israel heard the good news in the wilderness, does not guarantee that we will enter into God's promised rest. Those are sobering words to consider, but they're here in the text nonetheless. Simply hearing the good news is is not a guarantee. So let me Again, stop and try to put this into shoe leather for a moment. We can hear the gospel preached from the pulpit. We can hear and pay attention to the message from the preacher as he expounds the word of God and the promises and the promised rest of God. But just hearing it is not a guarantee that it will do our souls any good. Just hearing it is not a guarantee of lasting spiritual transformation. Because what you and I need in order to enter God's rest is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That's what we should be praying for. The sovereign work of the Spirit on our ears and on our hearts, who alone can grant us faith in response to the good news that we're hearing. For it is faith as God's gift to us, that gives us the ability, that gives us the the power, as it were, to receive the good news when it is presented to us and not to resist it. In fact, John Gill, one of our Baptist forefathers, wrote in his commentary on this verse these words, Just as the gospel is food, and we all admit that the gospel is food, it's good food, It's great food. It's a wonderful banquet from God, the gospel. Just as the gospel is food, so faith is the hand that receives it. Faith is the hand that takes it. Faith is the mouth that tastes it and eats of it and digests it. And when this is the case, God's word is profitable and nourishing And so what many lacked in Israel as they wandered in the wilderness under Moses, even though they were hearing the voice of the Spirit speaking, was genuine faith. They did not have that ability to receive and to taste and to digest the good news that they were receiving and hearing from God for the benefit of their own souls. Because many of them lacked faith. Because they lacked faith, they not only failed to recognize the good news when they heard it, But they also cut themselves off. Listen to my language. They cut themselves off from those who would hear and who would receive God's promises. In fact, the writer to Hebrews makes an interesting statement here at the end of verse 2 of chapter 4. Notice it. That the message did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. This is really insightful. Listen carefully. By failing to respond to the good news in faith, 
they separated themselves from those who did hear and who were a part of God's covenant community. For God's rest is only reserved for those who are joined in faith to Christ. And notice what the statement says here. Only with those who are joined to one another as believers within Christ's one spiritual body. In fact, notice how the writer distinguishes here in verse 3 between those who have entered into God's rest and those who have not. For he writes, for we... Those who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they, referring to those who do not believe, shall not enter my rest. So once again, we see that the promise of God's rest still remains. It was not withdrawn because of Israel's failure, and yet this rest is denied to those who do not believe. In fact, the only way that unbelieving persons could ever enter into this rest, if it were possible, would be if God somehow went and acted against his own divine oath, and that would never happen. God will not go against his own oath, against his own word. According to verse 3 here in Hebrews chapter 4, God swore in his wrath that those who ultimately turned aside and rebelled in unbelief would not enter his rest. Why? Because his rest is exclusively reserved for those who would receive, to those who would respond to his word by faith. Important words to hear and consider this morning. What do we know about God's promise of rest? Well, I want us to notice here in the remainder of our text this morning, the the writer gives us some insights into the nature of this promised rest and how it has been revealed to us throughout the course of redemptive history. So this is where the writer to the Hebrews shows his tremendous understanding and comprehension of redemptive history in the Old Testament. For all throughout history, God has promised rest for his people. All throughout history. It's not unique to us wasn't unique to the Israelites under Moses. All throughout history, God has promised rest for his people. And the actual enjoyment of that rest was always necessitated. It always required faith on the part of God's people. In fact, to give us a greater appreciation for God's commitment to provide rest for his people, the writer of the letter now transitions here in our text to a biblical history lesson, as I said, of of sorts, beginning with God's institution of the Sabbath day. So it goes all the way back to creation and why the Sabbath was given to create a context for rest, to create a place for faith in our lives. For he states here at the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4 here in Hebrews chapter 4, that although God's works were finished, From the foundation of the world, he has spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And no doubt, in pointing us back to God's institution of the Sabbath on the seventh day of creation, the writer is reminding his readers, he's reminding you and I this morning, that God has always made in his merciful provision for his people, spiritual rest a priority for them. 
I want you to think about that. Maybe you haven't wrestled with that before. God has always made spiritual rest a priority for his people, for you and I, and for the people of old as well. For although his works are done and he doesn't need to rest as his people need to rest, nevertheless, God established a day in the Old Testament, it was the seventh day, to serve not only as a reminder of his sovereignty and creative power, but as a day of true rest for the people. Why? Because the people needed a day of rest. And of course, when we're talking about rest in this context, we're we're not just talking about physical rest only. He's not saying the people needed a nap. So God provided a provision for them to always have a time to have physical rest or to take a nap. No, what they needed was a day of formal worship. What they needed is a time to commune with their God. They needed an appointed day when they could rest from their own labors and rest in the work of their Creator. Think about the difference there. Rest in the work of their Creator, not their own labors. There is a way that we can rest in our own labors at the end of the day, We can say it's been a good day, I feel relief, I feel some sense of uh, refreshment in what I've been able to do, but that is far, far different than the kind of rest that's being talked about here, resting in the work of your Creator, rejoicing and delighting in what He's done that you could not have done yourself. A day when you are compelled to recognize that the Lord is the source of your rest, and he will always be. Of course, I would digress here for just a moment and ask you, is that the way you spend your Lord's days? Do you rejoice in the works of your God? Do you find delight and rest in what he has done? Are you compelled to recognize who he is? And of course, to enter into and enjoy the rest that had been appointed for that day, the people had to receive and obey that institution, that provision of God by faith. And of course, to disregard the provision of God and the provision of rest in the Old Testament was serious business. Serious business. To violate or to disregard the Sabbath in the days of the Mosaic Covenant not only cut one off from the covenant community of God, but it could result in death disregard the Sabbath, work on the Sabbath, refuse to acknowledge and participate in the rest that God had provided results in termination of life. So even from the beginning of Old Testament revelation, God knew that the rest that He provided for His people was necessary. They knew that, the God, that God's provision for them through the Sabbath was a gracious and glorious provision. And they knew that that rest that God had provided for them could be forfeited and ultimately could be lost through unbelief. And of course, this is why the writer of Hebrews quotes the statement again, they shall not enter into my rest here in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 5, because this same principle of resting through faith that applied back in the beginning 
continued to apply at the time that this letter to the Hebrews was written. Then let us notice also, continuing in our text, that, that the writer here doesn't allow this reference to man's need for a Sabbath rest to pass by without reminding his readers, and you and I as well, that we as God's people are under the same requirement to rest on that day that God has appointed for our worship and for our spiritual refreshment. So as you know, I don't have to repeat this at length, God has provided us a day of rest and spiritual refreshment. And what was required of God's people in the past with respect to worship and faith and resting still applies to us as new covenant believers. And it will continue to apply to all of God's redeemed people, God's delivered people, until the full completion of God's redemptive purposes on this earth. You mean God expects me to gather in worship with His people for the purpose of spiritual rest on His appointed day every week? Absolutely. There's been no change. Grace has not changed that requirement. In fact, in many ways, grace reinforces that requirement. It should be our willing, our willingness to participate in that and not just the obligation that we have it. For the writer states here in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, or in other words, since this requirement to find rest and the worship of God still remains, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words that have already been quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So what does the writer mean here in verse 7 when he says, after noting Israel's disobedience, that again, God appoints a certain day. What does he mean by that? Well, there's some degree of disagreement about what he means about this statement. There are some who try to argue that this certain day that the writer to the Hebrews is talking about refers to the entire gospel age. And they argue that there is no Lord's Day command. In other words, there is no remaining command to rest from our labors and to worship God corporately on a specific day as ancient Israel did in her day. In fact, many of those who hold to such an interpretation of this verse, who interpret this day as the entire gospel age, openly accuse us of teaching legalism Whenever we insist that we are commanded to observe a particular day, whenever we insist that we are commanded to observe the Lord's day today and to worship and to rest with God's people. And yet, we should be steadfast in our confidence that as the writer to the Hebrews states in verses 6 and 7, there remains for us, there remains for us as God's redeemed people Today, a, a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath rest. It is not the seventh-day Sabbath of the Old Testament. We are not bound by the regulations imposed upon ancient Israel under the seventh-day 
Sabbath. But our Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, as our confession of faith declares it to be, is the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, the first day of the week, when you and I cease from our, our weekly labors and we gather together to worship God, when we gather together collectively to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, as He is saying to us, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. And of course, by observing the Lord's Day, we are not denying that there is a greater day of rest to come. There is a greater final day of rest that is coming, and thank God it is coming. But we need to understand that this principle of a Sabbath rest in the lives in the daily activities of God's people is still embedded throughout all of Scripture. For until we reach our final destination as God's people, we must frequently stop at that time that God in His great wisdom has appointed for us, and we must acknowledge by faith the source of our rest. We need to hear these words. And as a pastor, I want to emphasize this as strongly as I can this morning. There are some reasons why God's people struggle. One of the reasons that they struggle is that they become infrequent in observing the times of rest that God has appointed for them. And the day of rest, the Christian Sabbath for us as God's people today, is the Lord's day. The Lord's day is intended for us to be a day of rest. And when we neglect the Lord's day, when we absent ourselves on the Lord's day, or when we misuse or use poorly the blessing and the benefits of the Lord's day, we deprive ourselves of rest. And when we deprive ourselves of rest, we begin to feel burnout. We begin to feel discontented. We begin to feel restless. We begin to realize that our diet is very lean and we're very hungry and we're angry and we're striving after things that we shouldn't be striving for. We must take full advantage of the source of rest that God gives us on the Lord's day. We must do this on a regular basis. In fact, gathering with God's people in corporate worship is Christ's appointed way for us to do this. Then in addition to pointing us back to the Old Testament Sabbath as a reminder, as a precursor of the rest that God has prepared for His people, the writer to this book now urges us, note in the final verses of our text, verses 8 through 10, to consider the experience of God's people under their leader, Joshua. The experience of God's people under their leader, Joshua. So he wants us to understand how this works out in the lives of the people of God. And don't miss the contrast here between Moses and Joshua. Moses is leading the people in the wilderness. When he describes life under Moses, he's describing life in the wilderness before they entered into the promised land, before they entered into their quote-unquote rest. When he talks about Joshua, he's talking about something else altogether. He's talking about the lives of the people 
even after they had entered into the promised land, even after they entered into the time of rest. God's people crossed the Jordan into the promised land itself, and yet when they got there, they discovered something. And if you've studied and read the book of Joshua, you know this to be true. When they got there, they understood quickly that the land was not the restful place that some of them had anticipated or imagined that it would be. In fact, as soon as they got there, they had the task of clearing out the land of Israel's enemies. And that took tremendous effort, right? Once they realized that in order to possess that rest involved clearing out the land of Israel's enemies, they began to tire and their unbelief began to surface again. In time, it became obvious that the rest that they longed for would not come by conquering pagan nations, but only by resting in faith in the one who conquers. Let me repeat that. The rest would not come through conquering the pagan nations, by being brave warriors and soldiers and physically fighting the battle well. But the rest would come by resting in faith in the one who conquers, in the one who gives the ultimate victory over the enemies of God's people. In fact, this is what the writer to the Hebrews is referring to here in verse 8 when he writes, if Joshua had given them rest, it was not within Joshua's ability to give them rest as the leader. And guess what? It's not within my ability as the pastor of this church to give you rest either. So don't think that under my leadership, I'm going to guarantee that you'll enjoy and enter into this rest in this life, in your wilderness journey. No, you need to look to the one who truly conquers the Lord Jesus Christ for that rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. For had Israel's observance of the Old Testament Sabbath under Joshua brought Israel true rest, there would have been no need for a future Sabbath rest, one that is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not the case. But rather, but rather the writer goes on to say here in verses 9 and 10, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And of course, it's important to pay very careful attention to the writer's words here because he does not say, he does not say, so then there is no longer any Sabbath rest since we have already rested from our works which is what you would expect him to say if he was dismissing the need for any kind of future Sabbath observance. But he states here that there remains a Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest of God is for his people. It's a part of his ongoing permanent provision. It is for those who have already entered God's rest through Christ. It is for those who have already rested from their works, even as God through Christ has rested from his own. And when you and I observe the Lord's day faithfully, let's just focus on the Lord's day here for just a moment, a, a component of this rest. 
we come knowing that our works and efforts cannot grant us true spiritual rest. We know that, and yet this gets turned around. Today, many people believe that they go to church on Sunday to put forth effort, to earn, to merit, to achieve some kind of rest. But that's not why we go. We come because we know that our works and efforts cannot grant us true spiritual rest. And we, we know that the only way we will get rest is under the sound of God's provision, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, based upon that relationship with Jesus Christ that we already possess. And we are urged through the faithful preaching of the Word. We are urged through the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us to continue looking forward to that one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us rest now and who will bring us to our final and perfect rest at the end of our long and dangerous journey. It's not just we'll get rest at the end, grin and bear it now, no, there's rest now. There's provision now for spiritual rest and refreshment. And then ultimately, there's an even greater provision for spiritual rest and refreshment to come. And until that final provision, we must enter into the rest that God has appointed for us here and now. Here and now, that rest that is conveyed to us through the means of grace. Hear me carefully. There are means that God has provided for our rest, and we can miss them. We can fail to enter into them fully. We can fail to enjoy them. We can live our lives as though there's no rest to have now at all until the very end. And if we're living like that, we're depriving ourselves of God's provision now. When we come to the Lord's table now, when we come to hear the preaching of the Word now, when we come to fellowship with God's people now, there is rest that is conveyed to us. The faithful preaching of the Word, the Lord's table, the fellowship of God's people as they're exercised and displayed in our congregational life, God gives us rest. Rest. I don't know about you, but I need that rest. We must claim it. We must seek it by faith, for that is how we enter in now. And that's how God provided it. That's how God designed it. For as the writer to this epistle will declare later in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Without faith we cannot enter and experience the rest that God has for us now in the midst of our wilderness journey. So let's accept these truths. We're in the wilderness now. The wilderness journey is a difficult one. We need rest. We can't make it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't live on the promises of the past alone. We can't live merely by thinking of eons of time in the future when we will have an eternity of rest. We need rest now. And you know what? God has provided that rest for us now in the here and now through the Holy Spirit, through the means of grace. 
through what he's provided for us as a congregation. Congregation, are we making full use of that rest? Are we coming here and being refreshed by the Spirit of God who speaks to us, who imparts to us that rest which only he can provide? I pray that we are. I pray that we are. Only we can answer that question corporately and individually this morning. May the Lord be pleased as we travel this wilderness road together, as we continue to encourage one another to find true rest in Jesus Christ. Grant us faith, not just some faith, but strong faith, even greater faith to believe his word. May he do so for his own glory, for the honor of his own name, for the spiritual good of his church. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for the work of the Spirit who teaches us the meaning of the word and who applies the word to our hearts. And we would ask now that the Holy Spirit would do that which this preacher cannot do, which no mere man, no mortal can do, and that is to open the meaning of this passage to our hearts, to grant us the grace and the faith to embrace it, to receive it fully, that it might take spiritual root in our hearts. And may the good seed, the faithful seed that's been spread in this congregation today, go through the earth and into the soil and find good soil and find water from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God that it might grow. Father, we long for this rest of which we've been hearing about today, this spiritual rest that you provided for your people initially under the creation Sabbath and to your people in the wilderness under Moses and to your people in the promised land, even under Joshua, and to this rest that we enjoy even now under our greater leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would ask that we would have it in fuller measure. We would ask that we would claim your promises with respect to this rest and that we would avail ourselves of the means and provision that you provided for us so that we might be rested and refreshed under the sound of your word and under your gentle and tender care. Bless us now. Give us grace. Do your will, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.